Thank you for standing by. My name is Dennis, your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the third quarter 2023 earnings call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star in the number one on your telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, press star again. I would now like to turn the call over to Ms. Stephanie Dawkins, Vice President of Investor Relations. Ms. Dawkins, please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Krispy Kreme's third quarter 2023 earnings call. Thank you for joining us today. Our earnings release and associated earnings presentation are available on our investor relations website at investors.krispykreme.com. Joining me on the call this morning are Mike Tattersfield, President and Chief Executive Officer, Josh Charlesworth, Global President and Chief Operating Officer, and Jeremiah Ashukian, Chief Financial Officer. After prepared remarks, there will be a question and answer session. Before we begin, I would like to remind you that this call contains forward-looking statements made pursuant to the safe harbor provisions of the Private Securities and Litigation Reform Act of 1995 including statements of expectations, future events, or future financial performance. Forward-looking statements involve a number of inherent risks and uncertainties, and we caution investors that these risks could cause actual results to differ materially from those contained in any forward-looking statements. These factors and other risks and uncertainties are described in detail in the company's Form 10-K filed with the SEC for the year ended January 1, 2023, and in the other filings we make from time to time with the SEC. Forward-looking statements made today are only as of today. The company assumes no obligation to publicly update or revise any forward-looking statements except as may be required by law. Additionally, today's call will include certain non-GAAP financial measures. A reconciliation between non-GAAP financial measures and their closest comparable GAAP measures can be found in our third quarter 2023 earnings press release and form 8K filed today and is also available at investors.krispykreme.com. With that, I'll now turn the call over to Mike. Thank you, Stephanie. Good morning, and thank you everyone for joining us today. We have quite a bit of news this quarter at Krispy Kreme with our upcoming CEO succession and our exploration of strategic alternatives for insomnia cookies. To frame the call, I want to talk about our history. Afterwards, I'll pass the mic to Josh to dive into our strategy and Jeremiah to cover our financial results and outlook for the remainder of the year. Krispy Kreme has been a love sweet treat brand since Vernon Rudolph first started making donuts in 1937. Since joining the company in 2016, we've taken Krispy Kreme on a transformation to become focused as a donut company, always creating freaking awesome donuts. Vernon's recipe and his hot fresh donuts is how he built the brand. We further developed the brand, unlocking the power of a truly omni-channel brand. And importantly, we now deliver 100% of our donuts fresh daily, up from 50% since 2016. Also since 2016, we've nearly tripled the number of access points where consumers can buy fresh donuts daily and increased the geographies where we operate by roughly 50%, as we are now in 37 countries. We learned that we need to be where consumers want us and develop our points of access beyond the fresh and theater shops 
to include delivery fresh daily to grocer, convenience, and we are now unlocking new channels such as club and quick service restaurants. We have profitably reshaped our global ownership network via our hub and spoke model and also acquired Insomnia Cookies five years ago to help us strengthen our e-commerce and digital platform. Digital orders now represent approximately 20% of consolidated retail sales. Finally, we have continuously invested in innovation and focused the brand on gifting, sharing, and premiumization for our consumers worldwide. We know and believe there's nothing we can't do with a donut. And as always, at the core of our company is our purpose to touch and enhance the lives through the joy that is Krispy Kreme, which guides our culture and sets our direction to becoming the most loved sweet treat brand in the world. As I reflect back, none of this would have been possible without our more than 23,000 global Krispy Kremers, our leaders, and our culture to drive growth and results daily. This team has transformed our business from a legacy retail and wholesale operation to a fresh, nimble, unique, omni-channel business that has more than proven itself. I'm truly grateful and thankful to every Krispy Kremer. Turning to Insomnia Cookies, I mentioned our announcement to explore strategic alternatives for the company to enhance both brands' growth trajectories and enable Krispy Kreme to focus on our core strategy of producing, selling, and distributing fresh donuts daily. We thank Insomnia for their tremendous partnership in building upon our e-commerce and digital capabilities, all while we help grow the Insomnia business here in the U.S. to roughly 250 cookie bakeries, as well as we expand globally into the U.K. and Canada. Regarding the CEO transition, for some time now, I've been in conversations with the board regarding my succession plan. Given the progress we've made on our strategy, the phenomenal team and culture we have in place, it was the right time to promote Josh to CEO, effective January 1. I am also excited to transition to a senior advisor role in Krispy Kreme ambassador, where I'll support Josh and continue to spread the joy that is Krispy Kreme. Josh has played a critical role in Krispy Kreme's growth for the last six years, has been a tremendous partner to me, and I love his passion for the brand and our Krispy Kremers. All of this gives me confidence in our future success. Josh, I couldn't be happier to transition this role to you and look forward to watching more of your accomplishments as CEO. Now towards Q3. Our results this quarter demonstrate the continued strength of our team, our business model, and the power of our brand. We delivered growth on both the top and bottom line, in line with our plans, while delivering adjusted EBITDA margin expansion through our hub and spoke model. Our global expansion continued as we made our donuts available in two markets, Switzerland and Kazakhstan, and Insomnia Cookies expanded internationally into Canada and the United Kingdom. With that said, I'll now turn it over to Josh for a review of our strategy and to discuss the momentum we've seen so far in the fourth quarter. Josh, congratulations once again. Turn on that hotline, amigo. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. It's such a privilege and honor to be asked to lead this great team that you've brought together to represent this incredible brand, which means so much to so many people, and above all, to support all our Krispy Kremers around the world as we seek to firmly establish Krispy Kreme as the world's most loved sweet treat. And on a more personal note, thank you, Mike, for the many years of support you've given me 
including this period of CEO transition, and I'm very pleased that you'll be staying on as a member of the Krispy Kreme board. I'm so excited for what is ahead of us at Krispy Kreme. Our strategy is clear. Make our fresh donuts available in more places and keep reminding people of the joy that is Krispy Kreme, not just to eat, but to share and give to others. We have made so much progress in leveraging the power of the Krispy Kreme brand under Mike's leadership, now selling over 1.6 billion fresh donuts a year in over 13,000 points of access around the world. And yet, we have so much further to go. Our existing points of access represent less than 1% of the places a customer could, in theory, buy Krispy Kreme donuts, and our purchase frequency is less than three times a year, despite the many occasions and celebrations where our consumers can and do enjoy our donuts. We've laid out a great strategy, and we will remain focused on maximizing our global growth opportunity, leveraging our profitable, omni-channel fresh donut business. The key elements being, one, expand availability of fresh donuts through more points of access in both new countries and new sales channels, such as quick service restaurants. Two, increase purchase frequency by continuing to strengthen our premium offerings for special occasions and improving e-commerce and loyalty programs. Three, drive end-to-end productivity in our donut supply chain through operating excellence and automation. And four, improve capital efficiency by leveraging excess capacity in our fresh donut production hubs to supply more capital light points of access. And we are pleased with our progress so far. Our third quarter results were excellent, with organic growth just under 10%, adjusted EBITDA margins up by 50 basis points, and points of access increasing 14% to 13,394. The 522 points of access that we added in the quarter were across multiple markets, including 453 new Deliver Fresh Daily merchandising displays, or DFD doors, 59 fresh shops, and four hotline theaters. The new DFD doors include OXO convenience stores in Mexico, Woolworths grocery stores in Australia, and Costco wholesale stores in the UK, Australia, and Canada reflecting the increasing diversity of our customer mix. This also demonstrates our ability to expand DFD across multiple channels in several markets around the world. The 186 DFD doors we added in the US, including two more new Kroger divisions with Dillon's in Kansas and Pick and Save in Wisconsin, and we also saw significant growth with Publix. We now have just over 6,500 DFD doors in the US with average weekly sales up 12% year-over-year in the third quarter. We're also confident that the quick service restaurant channel is an exciting DFD opportunity for Krispy Kreme, not just in the US, but around the world. And we are making investments in the US that reflect our confidence in further scaling our Deliver Fresh daily network. While nothing has been finalized, we are excited about our continued partnership with McDonald's and we are in advanced discussions about expanding the relationship. Turning to the consumer, we saw, even in our seasonally low summer months, strong engagement with the Krispy Kreme brand, driven by premium price specialty donuts and marketing activation. Our limited time donut collections generated billions of media impressions, significantly increased average transaction values, and drove strong overall growth. For example, 
Our partnership with M&M's in the summer, which included a one-of-a-kind donut packed with M&M's minis, was a huge hit in 17 markets around the world. Our brand continues to grow and over-index with valuable younger consumers, with 18 to 34-year-olds now representing 40% of our U.S. consumer base, up from 33% a year ago. This is a big contributor to the success of our strawberry glazed donut partnership with Haley Bieber, which sold out quickly every day we ran it in early September. These partnerships demonstrate our ability to reach beyond seasonal occasions with creative and innovative marketing approaches, especially with our more social media and digital savvy consumers. As we move into the peak holiday season, we have seen growth accelerate so far in the fourth quarter, thanks to a record overall performance in the build-up to Halloween, especially in the US, where we brought mystery and monsters to life with a Scooby-Doo dozen. Looking ahead, we expect to maintain this momentum driven by more premium specialty donut collections inspired by the holidays and pop culture. Selling the same fresh donuts, both our beloved original glazed and our premium offerings, that we make in our production hubs through more points of access is at the heart of our unique hub and spoke operating model, making Krispy Kreme more accessible and convenient to more consumers and the hubs themselves more productive and profitable. This quarter, we increased the number of US hubs with spokes from 143 to 148 by adding delivery routes to existing locations. Our trailing 12-month sales per hub KPI was up 9% year-over-year to $4.8 million, helping drive U.S. fresh margins up over 100 basis points compared to the same quarter a year ago. We're seeing continued success in replicating the hub-and-spoke model and leveraging growth and deliver fresh daily doors across several cities, notably Charlotte, Dallas, Denver, Houston, and Miami, which have had some of the largest increases in DFD doors this year. As evidenced by our third quarter results, our strategy continues to produce positive and tangible results. And I'm excited for the future as we continue to pursue establishing Krispy Kreme as the world's most loved sweet treat. I'll turn the call over now to Jeremiah. Thanks, Josh, and good morning, everyone. The third quarter finished in line with our expectations as we delivered growth on both the top line and adjusted EBITDA with improved performance throughout the business. We delivered our strongest third quarter adjusted EBITDA growth since our return to the public markets. And if trends maintain, we continue to track toward the mid to high end of our full year revenue and adjusted EBITDA guidance. Net revenue grew 7.9% to $407.4 million driven by successful execution of marketing activations, pricing actions, and further expansion of our omni-channel approach globally and across all segments. Organic revenue grew 9.6% to $400.3 million. As a reminder, organic revenue excludes impacts of acquisitions, foreign currency, and the branded sweet treats business. Growth, pricing, and the shift away from branded sweet treats resulted in product and distribution costs decreasing by 230 basis points year over year. Gap net loss was $40.3 million in the quarter, due to the forecasted effective tax rate and attributable non-cash income tax expense. Importantly, we continue to expect an adjusted tax rate of between 24.5% and 26% for the full year 2023. Adjusted EBITDA grew 13.5% year-over-year 
to $43.7 million, exceeding the revenue growth rate. In turn, adjusted EBITDA margins expanded across all reportable segments, increasing 50 basis points year-over-year to 10.7%, demonstrating our ability to improve operating leverage through pricing and productivity initiatives. Diluted adjusted net income declined 3.6% year-over-year to $4.4 million. Adjusted EPS remained flat compared to last year at $0.03, despite net interest expense increasing 44% for $3.9 million. The increase was primarily driven by higher benchmark interest, as well as reducing our reliance on vendor financing. Turning to the segment results, in the U.S. segment, organic revenue grew 10.2% to $258.6 million, driven by effective premiumization opportunities and decreased discounting, leading to an increased average transaction size. Adjusted EBITDA increased 8.8% year-over-year, and margins expanded 30 basis points to 8.6%. Margin expansion was primarily driven by hub-and-spoke efficiencies and mitigating commodity inflation and labor pressures with the pricing taken from earlier in the year. We continue to be focused on waste mitigation and both materials and labor efficiency, and we're making improvements in both those areas. We expect that these structural improvements should set up for persistent margin expansion moving forward, combined with benefits from our hub-and-spoke system maturing. And finally, insomnia margins improved sequentially due to pricing actions taken in the quarter to address input costs. In the international segment, organic revenue increased 8.2% year-over-year, driven by increased pricing and points-of-access growth. Notably, Mexico continues to grow double digits and accelerated both sequentially and year-over-year, driven by strong e-commerce and -and hub-and-spoke expansion. Adjusted EBITDA increased 17.3%, expanding 30 basis points year-over-year, and has returned to over 20%. Primarily driven by declines in product and distribution costs as a percent of revenue through the effective pricing increases. We saw strong operating leverage in the UK, given actions taken to deploy cost control initiatives and introducing a nine-pack format in DFD. In the market development segment, organic growth increased 9.1%, which was partially offset by the timing of equipment sales to franchisees. Notably, Canada grew more than 30% as points of access growth accelerated. Adjusted EBITDA increased $1.6 million, or 13.3%, with margin expansion of 220 basis points, to 32.6%, driven mainly by strong margin improvement in our company-owned Canadian and Japanese businesses from hub-and-spoke efficiencies combined with fewer lower-margin equipment sales to franchisees. Moving to the balance sheet, we have a healthy balance sheet with ample liquidity and expect leverage to close the year below four times. We are focused on the long-term health of the business and setting up our capital structure to support growth through a strong balance sheet. As we explore strategic alternatives for insomnia cookies, we expect to use any proceeds to fund our growth agenda and strengthen our financial positioning, which includes paying down debt and a continuation of our reduction in the usage of vendor financing. Over the longer term, we remain on track to be between two times and 2.5 times net leverage in 2026. Capital expenditures increased to 8.4% of revenues in the third quarter, driven by new store openings and foreign exchange rates as we continue to invest behind our growth of our omni-channel strategy. Looking forward, and as Josh mentioned, the fourth quarter is seasonally our strongest, and we've observed a strong October with low double-digit organic sales growth, proving that underlying demand remains robust. 
Today, we are reaffirming our full-year guidance ranges for revenue and adjusted EBITDA and continue to trend towards the mid to high end of the range. Additionally, I want to specifically call out the changes to interest expense and capital expenditure assumptions. We are updating our outlook for interest expense to between $47 and $51 million due to the prevailing interest rate environment as well as our strategic reduction of vendor financing. In addition, we're updating capital expenditures, which we now expect to land between 7 and 8% of full-year revenues, largely due to strategic investments and growth of our U.S.-delivered fresh daily network and foreign currency rates. In summary, we had a strong third quarter and are seeing momentum in the fourth quarter, and we're excited about the future growth opportunities in our business. With that, we will open up the call for questions. Operator? At this time, I would like to everyone in order to ask a question simply press star then the number one on your telephone keep your first questions from the line of john uh, ivanko jp morgan please go ahead um hi thank you yeah, the question is on u.s margins and i know in the past we've you know talked about dfd profitability really being looked at at a market level and I wonder if there's any more intelligence or thinking around doing it at a root level or count level or even day of the week level, you know, if there's an opportunity for you to actually drive some margin, maybe, you know, beyond what we saw in the, in the third quarter out of that uh, business in general. And secondly, uh, I think there's been some illusion that um, Krispy Kreme may use, you know, potentially use, you know, third-party delivery uh, into some DFD accounts as opposed to using your trucks and your drivers. I mean, is that an initiative that is currently being tested or explored or something that we could talk about on this call? Thank you. Yeah, thanks, John. Uh, appreciate the question around margins. Uh, I'll open up and I'll say, you know, we were pleased with kind of what we saw uh, this, this uh, quarter with respect to U.S. margins, we were up 30 basis points, obviously, in the U.S., with the U.S. fresh business up over 100 basis points for the quarter, really driven by some of that hub-and-spoke efficiency that you, you referenced, but also despite uh, needing to absorb uh, performance-based accruals. So we still have uh, bonuses this year that we expect expect to play, pay where we we're uh, declining those bonuses or decreasing those accruals last year. Um, with respect to your question around, you know, looking at the business differently, uh, we'll constantly kind of tinker with and explore, looking at different ways to investigate how to view the business. Um, and maybe I'll pass to Josh to kind of elaborate more. Yeah, I think the primary focus that we look at for the health of the DFD business is is the quality of the doors themselves, and then we make sure that the routes that we service them with are as efficient as possible. So the the average sales per week of the door. Um, uh, which is over 600 bucks a week, and again this quarter grew 12% after um, multiple uh, quarters of, of strong growth. Demonstrates that we're continuing to uh, add productive doors and, and keep an eye on the, the existing base. Um, generally, it's scale and density uh, in a city that drives the profitability of the DFD routes. You know, uh, routes that do 15 plus uh, stops. Uh, get in, get out quickly, high quality doors, short uh, driving times is, is the focus. In terms of between different uh, customers uh, and what have you, we do see C-Store uh, be a little uh, higher margin than grocery, but that's more reflecting the product portfolio. There's more loose donuts that we sell uh, in the C-Stores. And actually in, in grocery stores, at the moment, we have an initiative to add more uh, cabinets 
the great, greater uh, display of those loose donuts. Uh, we, we've added over 120 this year. We see that as an opportunity to, to even uh, improve the margin in the, the grocery stores. So, so, so we do do a lot of analysis around it, and, and, and that's how we think about it. But the real quality of the doors and those routes is, is the primary thing across the different cities. And in terms of uh, perhaps considering a different route, uh, or, you know, style of distribution versus doing it in-house, um, you know, then potentially using um, the, the existing distribution capabilities of a third party, for example, in various markets, is that an opportunity? It could be. Um, the, um, uh, the routes that we have today uh, are all run by ourselves as we've built out uh, this model over the last couple of years. Uh, we wanted to move quickly. We wanted to protect quality. The most important thing is these donuts, which are obviously fresh daily, are always displayed in, in, in the highest, best way, and then uh, drive the profitability through the high-quality doors uh, and the efficient routing. Uh, but that doesn't say that looking forward, uh, third-party couldn't play a role, uh, particularly as we look to, to scale DFD in the U.S. Uh, the quick-service restaurant opportunity uh, is clearly uh, significant, uh, and to scale at uh, that magnitude, uh, we will need to be flexible. In, in, in different models. But right now, uh, we're focused on our in-house logistics model and making sure that those donuts are amazing, well-served, high service levels, and, and uh, uh, the, the, the system remains strong throughout. Thank you. Your next question is from Sarah Senator with Bank of America. Please go ahead. Great, thank you. Um, hopefully, you can you can hear me. I I question about the McDonald's um, announcement. I guess twofold. One is, uh, is that the capex increase? Is that the sort of reason for that, or or are there other uh, initiatives that you're also supporting? And maybe you could give a little color on that. And then, with respect to McDonald's, are there um, findings that you can share? You know about things like pack size or loose donuts, um, what you know about the customers, you know, per your you know, your earlier comments about the relative profitability of different DFD doors. Um, just wondering if, if there's anything, um, any insights that you can share from the, from the early test. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Sarah. Maybe I'll address the CapEx question, and I'll flip it to Josh to address the McDonald's uh, question. Um, obviously, we, we continue to focus our spend on the highest returns. CapEx did tick up. This quarter to about 8.4% um, as we continue to invest behind growth and expansion of our US DFD network. Uh, but we also saw in our experience in the impact of foreign exchange rates on international investments in the quarter and obviously on a year-to-date basis, which, which also contributed some of the tick up this, this quarter. Uh, Josh, you want to cover the McDonald's piece? Sure thing, Jeremiah. Uh, hi, Sarah. Yeah, um, you know, regarding McDonald's itself, nothing has been finalized, but the opportunity to expand DFD through existing and new channels, including QSR, is clear, and we are discussing the potential for an expanded partnership with McDonald's in the U.S. Um, the, the learning it has been very interesting through uh, the pilot that uh, we've done with them uh, throughout the year in Kentucky. Uh, and, and, and that is the nature of a lot of the discussions with McDonald's right now, ongoing analysis and discussion with them, covering the operational execution, making sure the donuts uh, uh, always uh, arrive at the right time, uh, right quality, um, uh, understanding then indeed are uh, uh, the requirements that would be needed to, to scale beyond, beyond Kentucky and, of course, commercial viability uh, of, of the whole thing. Thing. I mean, our confidence in the U.S. DFD opportunity 
uh, including now QSR, is, is what's grown. Uh, it's such that we've decided to thoughtfully start making additional investments. Uh, we're just getting going, um, uh, but those investments will be about manu you know, around manufacturing capacity to, to support scale growth. Because you know, to, your, to your point around you know, what have we learned from it, what we've learned is that these uh, uh, QSR outlets uh, um, behave in a very similar way from our point of view to a DFD door. We're able to uh, provide a fresh donut experience. Uh, the portfolio is relatively limited, but that doesn't mean it couldn't uh, be added to over time. Uh, we've seen that uh, both the loose donuts and the pre-packed donuts are, are well received. And so from our point of view, it's behaving very well and, and substantiates the, the brand uh, as we scale it. And, and as I mentioned before, we don't see sort of cannibalization of our base business in other DFD doors or indeed in our retail locations. And so, uh, you know, we're excited for it. Our confidence has clearly grown enough to uh, really start uh, thinking about where we'd invest to, uh, to support that kind of scale. Thank you. Your next question is from the line of Brian Mullen with and Please go ahead. Hey, thank you. Just a question on Insomnia. You know, I believe you're expecting about $230 million of, re of revenue from that business this year. You know, how should we think about the store level margins associated with that revenue? And, and related to that, maybe what's a good way to think about a GNA and a DNA allocation? We can try to come up with a good sense of um, adjusted EBITDA. If you'd be willing to share any color, it would be great. Yeah, Brian, I, I can take that question. Look, number one, we're super pleased with the business performance as it continues to grow and the profitability is improving sequentially. Um, there also continues to be a lot of opportunity for growth expansion, both in the U.S. and internationally, as we're seeing great engagement early on in both Canada and the U.K. in the early stages. Um, I don't want to kind of speculate too much or at least kind of share too much, just given the fact that we're in a process right now and some of the other questions around uh, financials. Um, and uh, I'll probably leave it at that. Okay, understood. Thank you. Just to follow up, just related to the potential, to, or not the potential, but you're going to be expanding production capacity in the U.S. I think in the past you said it's a it's a 10 to 15 percent increase in hubs to be able to serve an additional eight to 10,000 DFD doors on on top of the capacity you have. So, just how do you want us thinking about the cost to build each additional new hub? Maybe how long would it take you to build and how many hubs are you thinking you can get to next year in your planning? Okay, um, I'll take that. Hi, Brian. Um, yeah, actually, just stepping back a moment, as it relates to supporting the whole DFD opportunity in the U.S., including QSR, we can add about 6,000 points of access from the existing production hubs with minimal investment. You're just talking trucks, drivers, that kind of thing. But clearly, we want to go beyond that, which is what you're talking about. We want to start investing in increased capacity in, in underserved markets around the country as well. Uh, that can be new markets like uh, New England or upstate New York, Minnesota, but also markets where we're near full capacity uh, with very strong businesses like California and Florida. So, yeah, as you talked about uh, going beyond the 12,000 points of access that we can do from our existing hubs, um, it, it would, we would add about 10 to 15 percent hubs on top of our existing network, and that would serve about another 8,000 points of access, so 20,000 points of access all in. Obviously, um, uh, exciting opportunity. Um, now, it, it's interesting. These production hubs in the future 
we'll be building them to support more off-premise DFD sales than, than the hubs that we have today. So they're going to have additional donut-making lines. Um, they'll have larger loadout logistics areas. Um, so we're going to evolve to support what is clearly um, a rapidly growing DFD opportunity for us. Um, I mean, 10 to 15% more hubs works out as about 25, 35 new hubs uh, over the next few years, uh, about 3 to 6 million a hub. Um, timing depends on a number of factors. As I said, there's nothing finalized with McDonald's. Um, so, you know, we'll continue to update you on our plans as we have more information. Okay, thank you very much. Your next questions from the line, Andrew Wolf with CL King. Please go ahead. Great, thank you. I uh, just wanted to ask, um, you know, the restaurant industry at large, you know, generally had a weak summer, especially August and September, and then it bounced back in October. Did was the cadence of sales, you know, certainly within the shops and the and the hubs, was that was that similar? Uh, and was and also, you know, how was the DFD? Was there any you know similarity to sort of the restaurant industry at large uh, in your sales cadence? Yeah, thanks, Andrew. It's, uh, you know, se seasonally, Q3 is actually one of our softest uh, periods uh, traditionally, and Q4 is one of our strongest. So we're, we're kind of seeing that cadence right in line with our expectations. So growth, you know, obviously in the quarter uh, was right in line with what we'd expected it to be. Um, in the U.S. specifically, you know, we are pleased with the growth we're seeing in the U.S. and how the underlying business is holding up given some of the price we've taken um, as it grew double digits for the fourth consecutive quarter. Uh, with respect to DFD, all of our channels grew, uh, DFD being one of the largest growth contributors at over 20% in Q3. Of that growth in DFD, half was driven by points of access and half was driven by price and premiumization and bringing specialty donuts into the channel. And we're actually maintaining productivity in existing doors, uh, which is a good sign for us as well. So. It's, it's really interesting, the seasonality of us versus the, the industry you reference. Obviously, um, to the earlier question, you know, we're, we're learning about QSR restaurants and the way they behave this year, and, and obviously the, 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 the summer season and the ones we've been servicing is, is, is quite big. It's a big part of the year. Um, for us, it, it can be a low, um, obviously related to, to weather factors and what have you, and, and less holidays during that period. Um, it was actually really exciting that we were able to bring a lot of excitement around the brand in the low season. M&M's, Pumpkin Spice was a, a fantastic promotion uh, uh, in the U.S. and and I mentioned the Haley Bieber influence uh, strawberry glaze promotion as well. So um, be able to create that excitement uh, at this premium specialty donuts uh, in the low season um, was, was great, and, and that applied to the to the donut shops, e-commerce, particular. Uh, and DFD, uh, where we supplied uh, those specialty donuts across all, all three. Now looking ahead, of course, we've got more holidays, more excitement around the brand to, to think about our high season, and hence a uh, good start with Halloween was uh, really good to see as well. Great. Just a, one follow-up on the comments on uh, the maintenance of sales productivity at DFD doors. It's good to hear. Is that on a dollar basis on, or on a unit basis? I guess what I'm specifically asking about you know, it sounds like the premiumization is going well, but, you know, do, is there like an elasticity issue at all or is it, or is it you know, about what you expect? Uh, and, you know, so I guess it would end up being the same. Would it translate to any change and in, in shrink in terms of, you know, product that didn't get bought? 
Yeah, I think so. You know, I can take that, Andrew. Um, and, and as I mentioned, you know, half of, half of the growth was driven by price. And when you look at the existing doors, they're maintaining that productivity on a, on a unit basis. So uh, we're, we're not seeing significant elasticities, and they're definitely in line with what we would have expected to, to see. And especially donuts. Um, there's a lot of demand for them. So in many ways, having those become a bigger part of the portfolio is good for productivity because uh, they, they sell out faster. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Terrific. Thank you. Once again, if you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Our next question is from the line of Bill Chappell with Truist. Please go ahead. Thanks. Good morning. Just uh, two questions on um, insomnia and the announcement uh, intercorder on there. I guess one, uh, as you're thinking about potentially strategic alternatives, can you maybe quantify what that business did for organic sales in the U.S. for the quarter and, and, and what, that what that would, maybe even for the year? And then second, just kind of the, a little more color behind the thought process of that. I mean, from the IPO on, you had been pretty firm about saying it was a key part of the business and it was something that you could really nurture and build. And this seems like the timing in terms of maximizing value for it when there's a lot of noise about GLPs and what have you is, is not ideal. So just trying to understand kind of what went behind it and what your thought process is on timing and stuff like that, as well as kind of what it would take away in terms of the total organic growth. Thanks. Hey, Bill, this is Mike. I'm a, five years ago, you know, we took on the business of insomnia. One of the key things that we really looked at is how do we capitalize on the delivery and e-commerce capability of that brand? And then how do we help that brand start to expand itself and get scaled in the U.S. and potentially outside of the U.S.? So what we've seen and you've seen today, you know, we're 20% of our retail sales overall is being driven by delivery, uh, we check that box, right? So when you start to see where they're now at a 250 cookie shop basis, bakery basis in the U.S., they're starting to unlock in the international, both in the Canada and the U.K., they have a tremendous growth story. Krispy Kreme has a tremendous growth story in front of us. The reason to look at strategic alternatives is to just explore and enhance that growth potential that we have there. So that's why the timing is the right timing right now. That's why we chose this today. Yeah, and let me, I, I can pick it up in terms of, you know, how we're feeling overall on the top line. As I, I kind of mentioned a few questions ago that we're, again, we're super pleased with how the business is performing both on top line uh, as well on, as well as on profitability uh, and sequentially and year over year. Um, with respect to the process, you know, we're, we're super pleased with um, the strong level of interest we've seen already. Um, from very high-quality parties and remain focused on a transaction uh, which will generate a strong return on investment in the business that we made and realize value for our shareholders. Um, and we'll share more news, you know, as we as we have it with you all. With re your, your question around, like, the overall growth impact, we expect it to have a 100 basis point to 200 basis point overall impact uh, on the total growth of the business, but we feel like, you know, the, the Krispy Kreme business has proven it can it can accelerate and therefore offset some of that. Um, in terms of GLP, question, maybe I'll flip it to Josh and he can address your, your GLP concern. 
Yeah, the Krispy Kreme consumer uh, remains strong and, and the trends are strong. We don't see any impact um, of, uh, from the use of these drugs that you mentioned. It's not surprising. More than 70% of our donuts are sold in uh, sharing sizes, usually at special occasions and celebrations. They're often given to others. Krispy Kreme is an infrequent purchase. It's typically bought less than three times a year. And, and actually, the majority of our sales are from donuts that are under 200 calories each. Um, so um, we, we know our customers well. Uh, we actually do conduct regular brand research on the purchase barriers. The latest research, just from a couple of weeks ago, shows that once again, that it's actually accessibility that remains the number one barrier to purchase of a Krispy Kreme. Uh, the availability and convenience of those donuts for our customers. Um, health considerations remain uh, a low priority and actually uh, are unchanged uh, from the prior survey. So the consumer remains strong and the trends remain strong for Krispy Kreme and the growth ambition for Krispy Kreme, as we've talked a lot about today, uh, driven by both um, uh, points of access expansion in multiple channels uh, and the engagement around the brand, uh, such as all these specialty premium donuts that we've seen so much success with recently, uh, is, is why um, we're not concerned around, uh, around the impact on the overall performance from, from taking out insomnia. In fact, we see the opportunity to, to reinvest the proceeds behind the growth and, and drive the brand, uh, the Krispy Kreme brand on further. Got it. And, and, and maybe I wasn't clear. I, I was talking more about the GLP concern on the valuation uh, that you might get for for insomnia, but so be it. Uh, in terms of just clarifying, so if you you take out insomnia and it takes out two, one to 200 basis points of the total company, would that mean it's probably about a 300 basis point impact on the U.S. business since it's U.S. just just trying to understand our numbers as we go forward uh, in kind of the organic growth you're thinking. Yeah, I think, you know, we, we might make sense to take that offline just to de debrief in, in the follow-up conversation, but um, I think I think you're probably close-ish in terms of, you know, your estimation of the impact on the business in the U.S. Great. Thanks so much. There appear to be no further questions in the queue. I will now turn the call back to Mike Tattersfield for any closing remarks. Yeah, so thank you everyone for your time. Uh, on a personal note, this marks uh, my final earnings call as CEO of Krispy Kreme. As I said before, I couldn't be happier to transition this role to Josh. I love his passion for the brand, our Krispy Kremers, and freaking awesome donuts. It just gives me the utmost confidence in our continued success, and I look forward to watching all he and the team will accomplish. Again, thank you all for all the investors and your continued support of the company. And gracias to all my Krispy Kremers around the world who have inspired me throughout my time here. Lots of love. Ciao, Mike. This does conclude the Krispy Kreme third quarter 2023. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect.